All right, Caleb. Uh, before we get you know too into it, uh, you're telling me some interesting stories about your background, how this was helping you come to the the, the path that has led you to red markets. Uh, yeah. So in Little League, uh, I was convinced I was going to be the next uh, Randy Johnson. Yeah. Mullet and all. Um, <laughs> so I really wanted Dad to you know go play catch with me a lot. Uh, you know, despite his 12, 14 hour shifts. And eventually one day he, he sat me down and he said, "Son, uh, you need to dream smaller." <laughs> Uh, lower your expectations, uh, and we'll play catch a couple times a week, but, you know, dream just the right amount. It's too much. And really, it's it's how I've lived my life, yeah. and it's how I'm going to run my Kickstarter. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that that's that's the that, that should be the motto of Kickstarter. Dream the right amount. Just the right amount. So, yeah, this is RPPR uh, Game Designers Workshop, Episode 12, Dream Just the Right Amount. So this is the big day, uh, the biggest day of all. Uh, your dream, which is just the right amount of dream. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's a little bigger. Uh, the Red Markets Kickstarter is live. If you are listening to this, uh, we it is it is. You can go there, um, Caleb. You can tell them a little bit. I mean, you've talked a little bit about this before. I mean, the game, right? It yeah. shouldn't be a total surprise <laughs> no. to our listeners. Uh, I really hope not. Yeah. Uh, so it's May twenty third. The Red Markets Kickstarter is up. Uh, please go visit it. We're going to be talking about designing it um, here in the lovely golden past where all of my uh, inequities have not been revealed by the invisible hand of the market. Uh, where I, a time I will retreat to in my dreams. Past Caleb is best Caleb. Yeah, past Caleb is best Caleb. Um, but uh, it is up. It's ready to go. Uh, just to be clear, we started this podcast on July 30th. 2013. Yeah. Uh, so you have heard the game develop up to this point. <laughs> uh, and here is, this is it. This is uh, what makes all the time and sweat and tears worth it or not. So. And, and just, just to listeners know, we're not going to end the series, obviously. We're going to keep doing it because there's all, it, it, when it succeeds, which it will succeed on, uh, it will, of course, will have fulfillment, which is its own special, you know, uh, yeah. topic. And of course, I'm working on my own games too. Uh, Ruin and a card game, uh, which I'm tentatively calling Steel Dracula's Gold. Uh, but this is, of course, so we're, we'll, we'll no, the keep. The podcast will live on. Yeah, the podcast will live on. I may be Skyping in from some sort of facility <laughs> uh, in future episodes, but you know. Like if Ken Whitman <laughs> is not, is a free man, <laughs> like you are far. You, no, I, no yeah. I won't be taking yeah. their kids by will. Oh, I see. I will. I will need. You find a monastery. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. I see how it is. I'll be you and Raven McCracken up there. So, uh, the Jedi Academy. So, anyways, um, yeah, the Red Market Kickstarter is live. Uh, before we get into uh, the main topic of Kickstarter itself and the philosophy thereof, uh, why don't I talk a little bit about the reward levels uh, so people can get a sense of what they can back it at? If yes. you've been listening to this podcast, did I mention it's live? Yeah, it's live. Well, go go visit it. Yeah, I, I will put many links on the uh, show notes. 
I think the show dates should just be links. <laughs> it is just one big link. <laughs> yeah. I will embed the video, which I edited, uh, and then, of course, files from the Thrilling Intent podcast, uh, narrated uh, using art uh, samples of the artwork, uh, so you can take a, take a look at that. Uh, but yeah, what uh, kind of reward levels are there? Well, uh, there's the $1 thank you. We really appreciate the reward. Uh, yeah. It is a game of economic work, and I realize not everybody might be in the place to donate to a big Kickstarter, so we appreciate your moral support and no. your dollar support. <laughs> uh, at $10, you would get uh, AP Hound stuff. So if you're glutted on games, but you just want to listen to a whole preview campaign of Red Markets, and you want to get a taker name in the book, that's $10. Uh, $15 will get you the PDF of the book. Uh, and then we have a $30 tier and a $40 tier. $30 will get you a soft cover, soft cover copy, and a $50 will get you a hard cover copy. Uh, from there, in five uh, dollar increments, um, you can get uh, additional rewards. So at the thirty dollar tier, you can go thirty five and get the soft cover and dice. Uh, at the fifty dollar tier, you could go hardcover, and then if you did fifty five, you could get hardcover and dice. The red and black. The red and black details. Yeah. And then five dollars above that is a novella of game fiction written by me called The Home Team. Uh, and it's going to be in an audiobook by Faust from uh, Third Wheel Thrilling Intent. Yep. So, uh, the guy who narrated our trailer. Uh, so those are the physical book rewards. At $100, we have some uh, limited edition dice boxes. Uh, they look pretty swell. Uh, well, photos, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and beyond that, we're looking at... How many... Uh, but those are, those are limited, too. Like, how many those are Those are limited to 10. 10. Uh, and then beyond that, we've got... Uh, limited edition stuff like Skype games, games with me at Gen Con. Um, then we'll have getting your character art in the book or getting a enclave in the book uh, up to the, you know, vacation game <laughs> level. Uh, Rent-a-Caleb. Rent-a-Caleb, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, so pretty basic stuff. Uh, it's basically split PDF, softcover, hardcover uh, with the novella and the dice as the only real add-ons, uh, and because we don't want to lose our hat in you know d- distributing a bunch of shotskis and t-shirts, right? And, uh, yeah, and we'll get into that and the the pitfalls there. And we're not we're hopefully not going to do the chaos thing uh, and have to be bailed out by another because there's no one who's going to bail us no out. No one's bailing me out. Yeah. Uh, so um, you're the bailout. Backers. You are. Uh, Say so, yeah, you're too. You're too. Your dream is just too good to fail. Um, so yeah. So let's uh, talk about Kickstarter itself because obviously last month uh, for you has not been working so much on the text of the game, but on the Kickstarter text and video and structuring stretch goals and reward levels and all that incredibly fun and creative work that really is, you know. Yeah. Just as artistically important as the actual project, right? You gotta keep telling yourself. <laughs> um, so we are on pace with the book. Uh, I only have about thirty thousand words left to proofread, uh, and then it'll be ready to go for the backer like preview, which you would also get at ten dollars. Uh, so we're we're doing pretty good on the book. But yeah, the last month and a half or so has been strictly on Kickstarter prep, uh, and that is because you kind of have to do. Um, and so we're going to go through the whole thing front to back, but as a sort of thesis statement, since we have our educational um, mindset yeah. here at uh, Game Designers Workshop and fucking up in real time, um, <laughs> you in the future who know how this story ends, here's our current thesis. Uh, and you can see if our thesis was 
flawed or if we merely landed on the wrong side of it. So um, my impression of, of late is that there's been a battle over the soul of what Kickstarter should be. Um, and it's a battle that one side is going to lose. It is just a matter of the speed at which it happens. Uh, and it's sort of a battle between uh, realization and sustainability. Uh, and I don't want to call it like a battle between, you know, like small fries and big companies or anything like that, but it often takes that form. Yeah. So um, when Kickstarter started, when I didn't know security, uh, didn't you guys do a Kickstarter just an errand? To <laughs> I was going to bring that up. Yeah, we did do that for like a few hundred dollars. It was not very much. Yeah. So when Kickstarter started, it didn't have to be small. That yeah. wasn't necessarily a thing, but it was about bringing things into the world. So I did a ransom project. Yeah. No security. I, I did too uh, as well for the uh, New World uh, D&D uh, campaign primers. Uh, yeah. So, so or one of them. Yeah. It will exist in the world, things like that. Yeah. That is becoming increasingly uh, less common. Yeah. I have and, not. Yeah, I've not seen many ransom projects. And Kickstarters are also getting more and more successful, precisely because uh, more and more people are being brought in. And as you bring in more and more of these people, they come to expect what a Kickstarter is, and it's becoming what it is nowadays. Whereas uh, Kickstarters are not so much about uh, realization; they are about sustainability. They launch companies. They hire workforces. Yeah. They uh, launch lines. They are sophisticated pre-order systems. Um, so when you're me and you want to have a sustainable company and you want Ebonon Games to be something you can continue doing, you of course want to do that. But when you're me, you're also not post-human or, uh, you know, this Kickstarter or Delta Green or people who have this established workforce that are continuing on in the future. Right. So you're, you have a, uh, bit of a gap in that Kickstarter's not very... I, I don't want to say not very inviting to smaller sort of people uh, anymore with the right. amount of things you have to do to launch it successfully. Um, even if that small person wants to do and achieve the goals that Kickstarter is ultimately doing, which is a sustainable product that can yeah. stay in the market. So um, in the last month and a half, in addition to all the work for the ad copy, uh, I've been asking advice from a lot of people, Ross included, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, a lot of people in the gaming industry and a lot of it's been very good and a lot of it's been all over the place Yeah. Uh, so with pretty much every decision uh, we're going to talk about in this episode uh, the way I've envisioned it you know after a month and a half of doing this is that it's very much making decisions on where you want to land like, yeah. uh, and I originally saw that decision as solely based on risk like personal risk and financial risk to my family and to the product um, but even that is too simplistic of a split uh, when you're talking about this kind of uh, stuff. I mean, one thing is when Kickstarter, to sort of illustrate it, you know, in the beginning you had more in the beginning, in the beginning yeah, back in the in the weird in the eight thousands of years ago and back in two thousand nine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the era start. Uh, you did see a lot of very. Uh, Small people doing projects and raising relatively small amounts of money, but very, very creative, very artistic. I mean, you you saw a lot of documentaries. You saw a lot of – I mean, you still do, obviously. But, like, it's a different vibe than what I, – I don't think seven years ago people would have predicted that the biggest projects now are like, oh, we'll do a board game based on the Dark Souls series. I mean – uh, the video game series, which raised like $5.4 million, $5. million and – you know, it's not like the video game company that owns Dark Souls 
is hurting for money. They could have just launched their own board game, but they decided to license it out and achieve it that way. So like it's becoming sort of a boutique system for well-known properties or for well-known names, you know, like Shin, but that have a niche audience like Shin Mew. Uh, and, and we're talking specifically about gaming. Yeah. Because, yeah. like this is not happening in like dance or documentary yeah. filmmaking quite as much. Right. But gaming's huge on Kickstarter. Yeah. And not just video games, tabletop games. Like I said, Dark Souls board, a board game is getting this kind of money. And then of course the seventh C Kickstarter are raised over $1.4 million. Largest in history. Yeah. Largest, uh, tabletop so far. far. (laughs) Red market's going to heading for that goal. Oh God. No, no, that's (laughs) dreaming too big. (laughs) Oh yeah. Sorry. (laughs) $1.4 million. Oh God. Yeah. And, and if you read like, what the mission statement of Kickstarter is and what the people who work for Kickstarter write about when they're talking about this, this sort of uh, what they want their company to be. It's obviously they, they're not really, they did not envision that they were doing this as a pre-order system for dark souls, the board game. Yeah. So they wanted something a little more higher and, you know, higher purpose. But, so, but, yeah, but anyway, and tabletop, like that's the thing. Like it, it became a thing where you could allow people small, and it doesn't get much smaller than tabletop gaming, so, <laughs> um, to get something out there that would be, would be difficult. Yeah. And that's because, uh, and that worked out. And it's because, in large part, as a result of like the crash of the 90s, from what I understand, is that you know we were going along in this sort of antiquated business model. Yeah. But the, the big shift with Kickstarter is that Kickstarter is now the, yeah. the business model. There are many like trad gaming companies that put out huge works that are pulling as much as 80% of their yearly budget from Kickstarter. You're just selling everything you make before you make it. Right. Um, and that is, and as it's becoming the entire business model for the entire industry, uh, you're having to compete with the entire industry. Yeah. Like when my Kickstarter goes up, I have to fight against Pathfinder now. Yeah. Or, or somebody else who's doing Kickstarter at the same time. It's not all trash. It's not all like indie small guys. Um, so that that is sort of the thing. Uh, but if the Kickstarter, the basis there, the grammar of Kickstarter is still sort of designed for this sort of like you have a thing, it doesn't exist, right. you bring it into the world, and it's still there and it's still capable of doing that. Right. There are a lot of games that would not exist if not for Kickstarter. Base Raiders would not exist. It, I would never have gotten financing from a traditional publisher. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But. As the years go on and on, it's getting pulled further and further and further yeah. towards that one thing. And as long as you're willing to meet those demands, I think it's ultimately better for the project and better for the consumer. But uh, it is something you have to realize that, like, my I'll just put it out there for free ransom model isn't yeah. going to, like, work as much anymore. Yeah. Uh, so Even if you're – I mean, a few people are still doing – I think Greg Stolze is still doing, like, fiction that way. At least short stories, but again, yeah, but he's very, like four hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah like, it's very uh, small. And Red Markets as a project needs more than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess we should talk about budgeting now. That yeah, we have our thesis. Yeah, uh, the battle for the soul of Kickstarter are rather d- dreaming not too big. Yeah, uh, just the right amount. Uh, so first thing we had to talk about was budgeting mm-hmm. for the Kickstarter. Um, so I wanted to do a printed book. So as a result of that. I needed to decide a lot of things off the out of the gate. Yeah. So I needed to find who I'm going to print through. So uh, considering the problems of distribution and stuff uh, and how small we are, the only real solution is print-on-demand through drive-through RPG uh, because Lightning Source can print the book uh, and ship it to people at a re- de- decent cost 
and I can provide coupon codes that get it to you merely for the cost of the pages it's printed on and the shipping. Right. Uh, and it lowers the cost of the book overall in order to the consumer, so you can get it at a rational amount. Right. And this is at the base level of stretch or yes. base level of the Kickstarter. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the what we basically did is I set out uh, th- I set out three page counts uh, for depending on stretch goals uh, three three fifteen four hundred and then I set out uh, then I went to Lightning Source and I looked up all their I set a size so we're gonna go eight and a half by eleven uh, trad printing size and then uh, we set out uh, soft cover versus hardcover black and white versus color versus color premium. Then we set it out through art for eight art every six pages through art every four pages, and uh, we had a big old party over at Ross's. Going over spreadsheets, uh, as Thanks, you know, Bill. Uh, yeah, thank you, Bill. <laughs> um, and then along with that, you have to factor in the like, okay, whatever you get to print it, then whatever you charge for it, you're only going to get sixty five percent of that because DTRPG is going to take the rest. Yeah, and then whatever you're going to ask for on Kickstarter. You need to ask the ask for 120 percent of that because you're going to lose 10 percent to taxes and 10 percent to uh, Amazon and Kickstarter fees. K- credit, uh, yeah, Kickstarter takes five percent, and then the credit card processing takes three to five percent. Three to five. Yeah, you want to. And there's always going to be a couple of percent of deny decline cards. Yes. So you're going to get a little lower. So you actually your asking price is actually not your bare minimum to get it done price because yeah. you're not going to get that price. Yeah. You're only going to get you know you're going to you need to ask for 120 percent of what you need, basically. right? Um, so we had to do all that math and figure that stuff out. Uh, so budgeting wise, that's where you go in there uh, and set things up. So I was originally going to set the uh, MSRP, the suggested retail price, during that time when I originally did, but then uh, that was where we first hit the you know battle for the soul of Kickstarter. <laughs> so. Um, could you talk about traditional price structure for uh, RPG books, the times five rule? Oh, the times five rule. Um, well, this is through distribution yeah. um, because basically it's not like your game company X and you sell copies of games directly to consumers or uh, because obviously consumers usually go to a place like a game store to buy games. Um, so and you don't sell directly to the retail stores either because there's like 500 of them and you can't keep contact with all of them. So what you usually do, um, there are middlemen distributors, uh, and they, they offer di- different and they're different types. There are some, there are consolidators who, um, talk to different levels of distribution. So the times five rule is you take your manuf- manufacturing cost, like what it physically costs you to have one copy of your book times it by five. And then, sell and that's your retail price because that way the percentages uh you know the distributor is going to take so much percentage the retailer is only going to buy it at this amount so like this is the way you ensure that you have a profit uh of you know that you can sustain your business on mm-hmm. um so that's it in general um obviously there are exceptions and it doesn't it this rule isn't as important if you aren't seeking distribution at all obviously uh, if you're doing like a limited print run that's only going to be available through a web page or something like that, um, you know, like I'm doing 100 copies and you have to go to GameX.com to get it because it's limited edition. Well, you know, you don't have to do that as well. But that's the rule of thumb. That's the general rule. That's right. Yeah. Um, so that that's good. So here's the problem with 
my specific not a problem, but the the thing particularly Red Marks has to do, um, and why why we've been recommending the entire time that you should start off smaller. Yeah, but I'm an idiot. <laughs> Run through the monitor first. So, um, print on demand starts breaking down at higher page levels in terms of price structure, especially when you end like it's totally unfeasible if you do color. Yeah, and when you go to color, it completely breaks down. Yeah. So uh, I don't think I could get anyone to pay a times five. So, for example, a times five premium color. Uh, which is glossy, high weight pages. Yeah. Uh, a a three hundred page red market book. If I did times five, I'd have to charge one hundred and twenty dollars for it. And obviously, the market will not bear that. It will not bear that. Uh, and I have no intention of bearing that. Um, now, this is the thing between uh, you know realization versus sustainability. So my concern was that I don't want to be like my own booth at Gen Con. Like right. I'm still going to teach. I'm still going to work sixty hour weeks teaching kids, and I want to do this on the side because it's something I love. But I want it to be a game that people have and play. Yeah. So after a certain amount of point, I'm not stuck to the times five rule because I'm going through POD. Right. But in that same thing, the way I funded the initial art for Red Markets was through stuff from No Security. And if I ever want to do another project, it's going to have to come from this because uh, I've already pulled too much of my own money than I should have (laughs) uh, to fund initial pre-Kickstarter assets for red markets. Right. And so uh, I've talked to other people in the industry. Uh, so I've talked to people in the industry who's like, POD is the way to go. Definitely do that. Do it all through there. You don't have to invest in distribution. Don't do things like that. And I've talked to other people. It's like, um, you're absolutely insane if you make this book bigger or color at a certain level and you don't have distribution. Because the thing about distribution, that means you've done an offset run. Right. And if you do an offset run, that brings the unit price down astronomically. Yes. Uh, like the more you print, the cheaper it gets. Uh, and offset print runs means you go to a printing company and you print like hundred, well, thousands of copies at once. And uh, many times this is done in China uh, or in Singapore or some overseas. Uh, but there are places in America that do too. But the idea is you bulk wholesale price, you know. Yeah, but now you're in the sustainability, this is industry standard stuff because you're yeah. printing 2,000 copies. Uh, or more. <laughs> and, yeah, and you're walking through the graveyard of a million failed Kickstarters that tried this. Right. As well. And then they have boxes and boxes of the books in the garage. Yeah. So that's the problem. So the thing about with the budgeting is that uh, we have to make the game work at a certain level for print on demand. And uh, we don't, uh, I don't think it's going to be able to do that while being color. Right. Um, so since it's so big. Right. Uh, we have to cut. 200 pages off of it and you know what if I lost 200 pounds I wouldn't be Caleb anymore in tighter pants or I'd be a fundamentally different human being you I'd, would I'd be out jogging and like you'd be winning the Barkley marathons yeah I, I would not be uh, I would not be you know tubby nerd guy playing with dice mechanics right? <laughs> uh, so it wouldn't be the same game if we cut that much and we're 10 playtest iterations in so while I do write long and I will probably need to cut like yeah. even I don't write 100 pages long uh, in terms of mechanics and stuff so um, we when we budgeted it out initially, uh, the thought was just do everything through POD. But I've been talking to people and like you know I need to be responsible to my family. Yeah. Um, and if I'm you know making pennies on the dollar for every book, there's no way I'm gonna be able to do another book ever. Right. Um, and there's no way I'm gonna be able to support the red markets line with additional stuff. So we need to make sure that it's a uh, black and white project until we get to that level where we can talk about distribution. And then we had to factor in, all right, so what price level is that? What, how much does this backer kit cost right. to fulfill that? Um, 
But the good thing is, is that because another problem with Offset, the reason why you use Backer Kit is because unlike POD, um, you not only have to get all the books printed, you have to have them fulfilled, which definitely means not having them shipped to your house and then filling uh, envelopes all day. You pay a warehouse to store them to print labels to mail them out because they can get a better postage rate anyway. Much better. Uh, and often a lot of the good ones will have overseas locations so they can ship things in, in like large grouping so they can like save on foreign international shipping. Yeah. Um, and that's a big thing. And backer kit lets, helps manage that by creating a database that they can send to fulfillment houses. Uh, it's, it gets very complex very quickly. And, and to, yeah. yeah. And to be clear, like, as I am the guy who wrote the anti-capitalist game, uh, <laughs> and you might be thinking, oh, he's gouging us. All this stuff makes the book cheaper for people. Yeah. For instance, if we get to the level that we can do just well, higher quality for cheaper. Uh, yeah, if we can get to the level where we do the not even just accepting color. If we can get to the level where we can just do an offset run, even if it's just black and white. Yeah, the cost of the book just went down by nearly ten dollars for you. Yeah, because you no longer have to pay the cost of printing it. I'm paying that now. You just pay shipping. So when you do DTRPG, you've got to pay that. Yeah, and shipping, uh, which is a pretty common Kickstarter practice. Uh, so the book gets cheaper for that. The quality gets better. Also, it becomes available in more places, and you have more people to play with. Yeah. Because if I print that many copies for backers, I'm going to print over that, and that allows me to do stuff like consignment houses, which are IPR. Uh, so IPR, Indie Press Revolution, uh, they go around to all sorts of conventions all over the year. They sell the book for you, and they're a consignment house, meaning they don't do any printing. Right. Uh, so you need to have the books on there. But once you're there, you can sell it through there. Then I would also be selling it through DTRPG then I would also be giving it to fulfillment through backers, and then you can also look into distribution at that point. Right. So you can have it in game stores. You can have people talking about it. Like, it's a better product for everybody. It's a more sustainable product because people can find it more places right. at cheaper costs and play it more, but the risk to me gets way higher. Right. I mean, this unless is... Unless right. I don't right. plan on that at all and go to color thing, and then the, also, the risk is also high. So, like... It's not a duality. If I do POD everything and I'm making cents on the dollar for a color book, my risk is astronomical because in order to do anything else with red markets ever again, I'm going to have to sell thousands of copies to make the margin, Right. Uh, which isn't going to happen. Uh, and then on the vice versa, if I go too big on a print run, you're, you're screwed on that way. So, yeah. You know, dream just the right amount. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what it's uh, the biggest thing is if you if you if you could see into the future and knew exactly how many people are going to back your Kickstarter you could easily and accurately make this but guessing wrong on whether to go POD or offset um, and the reason we're offset uh, by the way I want to mention economies of scale that's why offset works is yeah. because uh, it takes advantage of that um, but yeah that that's the tricky part it's forecasting demand which is really hard uh but that yeah. used to be what kickstarter was for yeah when it was about realization it was like i have this crazy idea i don't know if anyone's gonna like it let me throw it on kickstarter and then i'm not out anything if it doesn't happen right kickstarter is increasingly less and less about that it is more about there is a demand sophisticated pre-order system that we know how to fulfill it. um i think yeah and that's because back then people didn't have the same expectations in terms of like launching a Kickstarter. Like they didn't like, I think yeah, obviously seven years ago, people didn't spend as much money and time to prepare a Kickstarter campaign, like with artwork and videos and uh, marketing efforts. Um, I think there's, yeah, let's just throw it on there. A couple pictures, cover, mock-up art, blah, blah, blah. Here it is. Um, I mean, obviously there were exceptions, but I think people have Kickstarter backers now have more, 
expectations of a very sophisticated campaign uh, that they feel more comfortable with. And that's what I found talking to a bunch of industry people about yeah. this kind of stuff. Well, I, I won't go into naming. Yeah. They're not as stupid as me, and they don't air all their laundry out and, <laughs> on the internet. But, yeah. um, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who are just like, oh, yeah, POD is the only way to go. Don't even bother distribution under any shape or form. you got to do it this way. You'll make a bun- bunch of money. Yeah. The book will be out, and you'll be insulated. And then I've talked to other people, and they tend to be younger, but mm. still really successful in the industry. He's like, well, that's 2010 advice. Like, that doesn't work now. Like, yeah. You, you've got to go in on your offset run, or you need to, you know, cut 400 pages out of the book or something ridiculous. Um, and go so big got, or go home. Yeah, yeah. So I've gotten a lot of advice ranging from, like, yeah, you've done it perfectly, to scrap the book. You'll be happier for it. Just don't publish it. Yeah. Uh, and everything in between. Um, and because and like that's nuts yeah. for any industry to be like like one guy to tell you this is the only way to do it and the other guy to be like no you'll be destroyed uh, like <laughs> that's crazy and so like I feel like the market's sort of in flux it is it is very much so um, and I mean for example uh, my last Kickstarter Boiling Point uh, the adventure for ki- uh, base raiders uh, was done the POD model but I knew from the beginning that this is going to be black and white print on demand because it's an adventure for an existing game yeah. and uh, I made money on that I, I put that I, I had profit in it worked into it uh, but it was a much more modest project it was fewer pages few less artwork all black and white artwork uh, and that kind of thing and so I had that luxury of knowing, like, I'm not. There's never going to be a color level of this. There's never going to be an offset run of this. Uh, and base raiders. That was 2013 when I did that. That was definitely POD. I have put it into distribution, but it's a black and white book, so it's very cheap to print that, even at POD prices. Like the Lightning Source, and uh, I use CreateSpace, which is Amazon's print on demand uh, print on demand service. It's very economical to print a book in black and white and hit that MSRP times five price and it'd be profitable. So, uh, it's color and hardcover that makes shit expensive, but like people want that in a book. Like they don't, they, they find that more when you're forking over 50 bucks, you want something that looks good and is going to last longer. Yeah, and, and to be clear, yeah. I want that in a book. Um, so, Red Market certainly deserves it. So, yeah, we talked about budgeting. So one yeah. of the things I did uh, with my pre-Kickstarter assets is I made sure to get Kyle and Kat, my fantastic graphic designers, uh, I made sure I had a chapter completely laid out and ready to go, um, meaning, like, the rules weren't going to change drastically. Yeah. It would be very simple tweaks. And I made sure that we had... Um, it, the art will probably change because the art's not fitting with what the chapter's about. Yeah. Uh, but I had all the art assets. And so I, we did, uh, we established a template for what, it would, what the book would look like. And then we did a full chapter front to back because I could look at that chapter and say, this chapter is exactly this many words. And it came up with exactly this right. many pages on an eight and a half by 11. So layout. many, so many words per page. So I get words per page and then I can use that to figure out roughly how long the book's going to be. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did, but considering I wanted to do that for more than just a budgeting purpose, cause I wanted to like excite people and this yeah. goes into the presentation stuff. I said, go color. And I paid for the color and it looks so pretty. God damn it. <laughs> like I really want it to be a color book. <laughs> so yeah. like the initial goal color was way, way down there when we actually yeah. did the, the stretch goals and we set things up. Uh, and it had, it had to go up because I don't feel safe putting it. 
Yeah. Uh, but God, I want it to be a color book. But like, that's the decision making process there. It's about realization. Do I want to make it color by any by by any means necessary? Yeah. Damn the torpedoes. <laughs> or is it sustainability? Like, do I want to make it color and it like I can continue selling it in color, or I can afford to reprint it when it runs out of color, or, or stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I had, I, I mean, I, I really think I took the middle path because yeah. as the stretch goals exist now, color is still a risk, uh, where yeah. it's at, but, uh, it's a lot less risky than it was before yeah. when we did our first draft. So, I mean, that's another thing you're kind of dealing with, you know, cause I want it to be color. God damn, yeah. I want it to be color. I'm working my ass off. <laughs> like, um, so that's another thing, yeah. So yeah. With the budget, um, and so and these and the thing is, regardless of whether you're doing a book or something else, like these kind of considerations come up. Similar issues would exist for board games, for card games, uh, for basically any kind of creative project where there's a physical product at the end. Yeah. You're going to have some like, do I do print on demand? Do I do a very small run? Do I take advantage of economies of scale? Uh, I mean, and again, this is sort of based on like. What your fan base is, what, ca- how well can you forecast demand? Um, this is, you know, like red markets itself. Uh, I remember you tell me some of this and people are like, well, if it's a indie storytelling game, it should be like this. But if it's a trad game, i.e. like Dungeons and Dragons or a Warhammer 40k RPG, it should be like this. And there's no middle ground. Never shall the twain meet. And red markets itself, the thing is, it's kind of a hybrid between a trad game, traditional role playing game and an indie storytelling game because it has elements of both. And, and it can, it can yeah. be it can lean on one. So one of the things talking about ad copy is. Yeah. When you try and rewrite what your game's about a billion times and condense it down to twenty. Yeah, how do you market it? Yeah. You, you get better at that. And I realize that, like, with the way you can slot in vignettes or take them out, or you can do negotiations, or you could skip it, or you could all design the game, or you could let the GM design the game. Yeah. And now there's all these different choice points. I realize that it's very modular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, red, like, you could play Red Markets easily as a drama system game, almost, uh, without drama system mechanics. Like, uh, just just make everything a task action in combat. Yeah. And then you're done with your procedural seats and then go back to like interpersonal drama and people... Work-life balance, yeah. Yeah, work-life balance. Um, and we just did a podcast with The One Shot uh, and they, they do a ton of story games and they're very heavy in role-playing. Right. And their playtesting feedback was very interesting. It's like I was super intimidated looking at this character sheet. I was really scared we were playing like D&D. Yeah. And then they're like, but I ended up really liking it because it's a story game. <laughs> and I'm like, because I played it for you like a story yeah. game. I could have been more hardcore in the combat stuff, yeah. but those are all modular things. So this is another thing, uh, and it's more on those sustainability things. So what a lot of people told me to scrap the whole thing is like make it six by nine because you don't want to complete with trad games. You don't want to even be on the same shelf with those people on retailers. Uh, and I'm like... Well, I mean, maybe if it looks good and it looks like it belongs there, those trend yeah. gamers will learn a different style. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's the thing. so, like, yeah. I could be wrong. This could be the choice point in which, like, oh, that's how Caleb fucked up. <laughs> like, this, but, like, I don't, like, I don't feel like that duality, that conventional wisdom of, like, it's only one or the other. Fits. Yeah. Because, like... Well, here's the thing. I think a lot of games are 
blending this kind of stuff now. I think it is it's it's a trend that's just coming up, and I don't think people realize it. I mean, because again, you look at Delta Green, and it has bonds, it has relationship mechanics. It's more about personal horror than like the first edition, which was like conspiracy, cosmic horror. You are a pawn. Yeah. You mean nothing. Uh, nice black agents. Nice black agents. Where you uh, got like role playing to reload your gun. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Uh, or unknown armies now, which has uh, the first edition was you know crazy weird, but Greg Stolze looked at what people were telling, like I don't know what to do with what the fuck do I do with this game, and. And they said, oh, well, so that's why you added goals. So, like, now there's a narrative structure built into every game because, like, okay, so here's this crazy setting, and now you have to figure out what you're going to be doing in it. And that's, like – and I so I feel like trad games, more trad games – like, Delta Green would definitely be considered a traditional game first edition. It's a Call of Cthulhu setting. But now they're taking more storytelling elements and – I think a lot of the story indie storytelling games, there are games out there like Torchbearer, which are, you know, like it sucks to be an adventurer and like yeah. you're poor and you're going to get a disease uh, and then you're going to die of an infected rat bite or something like that. I feel like people are getting just taking the elements of what they like from both extremes and making a game that they think is fun because nobody – the very few gamers I think are pure – old school trad game grognards and few relatively few are pure indie storytelling people i feel like most people are comfortable in a spectrum you know and that's my argument and that's why i tried to make a game that was literally a spectrum yeah Uh, and with the hobby deficit we've talked about before like i i grew up (laughs) playing games with you at your table and we played that kind of blended stuff yeah more often than not and when we don't when it's full like flanking bonus i tune out completely <laughs> uh and so like i thought you loved the dark sun yeah, yeah so um that's the thing i made a game i wanted to play yeah uh and i think other people want to play that because i think there's definitely a market for that yeah i mean delta green made 300 something 380 380 dollars and uh $380,000 yeah not um uh but yeah like so that's traditional wisdom I've been told, and I'm like, I don't really think that's you're, uh, true. Yeah, because so, Kickstarter is still in flux. Yeah, so, I mean, we're going to see yeah. one way or another. Yeah. Uh, so so that's yeah. the budgeting. There's a lot of agony regarding around that. Yeah. That basically shapes the risk. Well, yeah, I mean, and to get back to the ad copy and the marketing bit, like, um, there's, aside from being able to, how do you pitch this game to people? And I feel like part of this podcast is just for that. And like the whole actual play stuff, we, we're, we are kind of in that unique advantage, uh, where we can do that, um, have that be able to show people the game. Um, but like you still, a lot of people are going to come to your Kickstarter page without having any experience with RPPR. So you still have to write like really good ad copy to like, he concise, boil it down. Um, and, uh, I know you're talking about how the the actual narrative or the 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 written structure of a Kickstarter campaign has changed over the years. Yeah. So um, regarding ad copy, I've written the ad copy on the damn thing. A billion yeah. Um, and the way I eventually ended up thought, thinking of it was, I just got to get to the bulleted points. Yeah. If anybody reads any of it, they're just going to read the bullets. Yeah. Uh, and so I got to get to that much, but getting down to those bullets. Yeah is oh, a task because like you yeah. think about your game in abstract academic terms especially when you write a game that you're calling economic horror yeah um if you're innovating yeah if and you want to think about like who your target market is and my talk target market is somebody that would find that interesting or like say i haven't heard of that before and i want to do that 
Yeah. Um, and that's my target market. Um, and the way I envisioned ad copy originally was like, you know, bury the zombie angle because I like zombies, and I think zombies are the mark are the monster for this game. Yeah, because definitely. They're boring and banal, and they still eat you, and that's what work is. <laughs> um, uh, like, yeah, you, you yeah. know. So I wanted that to be in there, but like, I'm also very cognizant that if people are just skimming and they don't know what the game's about. They're going to see zombies and tune out. Yeah. Um, and talking about advice on this and sustainability. I've gotten everything from like, oh, you need to mention Heigl in your quote, and then I've gotten also, and then I've also gotten like, you need to call it a game where you kill zombies for money, <laughs> and that should be the whole pitch. I'm like, <laughs> put some tits on the art, like, and I'm like, no, oh, God, no, Can, is there a middle ground? Like, <laughs> uh, but like, that's the sort of thing because like the sustainability guys are like, look, zombies are boring, zombies are glut yeah really a terrible uncreative person for doing this but they sell man they sell put them up front get those zombie tits on the page and i'm like oh my god yeah this used car salesman stuff is like really stressing me out and then other people are like if you want to sell it as a story game try and be high concept try and do stuff like that uh but i also don't want to bury the zombie angle and have it like be it is you don't want to surprise people yeah it's not a surprise it's just not the focus and it never was if you listen to this podcast so yeah, um, the dozens of drafts of eye copy of which I forced you to read man, <laughs> uh, are pretty much a constant fluctuation between talking about like the game's intentions as a capitalist critique, yeah, and, and what it means of like uh, and what economic horror means, yeah, and how it differs from other role playing games uh, versus the uh, you know the go kill zombies mm-hmm. main activity, which is what every interprets. Which I don't interpret as the main activity of the game. Uh, that's why there's a class where you can just choose not to kill zombies. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah. So I mean, yeah, most of the jobs that we've done in the game have been not about killing zombies. In fact, I don't think there's been a, there, there have in either campaign, there wasn't a single closure job. They play the weather. Yeah. Like they get in the right. way. Um, I, and I think this, this, I mean, but the thing is, you, this is the kind of work you have to do with a Kickstarter. I mean, for those of you listening out there, for your own Kickstarter campaign, you have to really think about and condense because what I see looking at a lot, I see, I would look at a lot of different, uh, RPG Kickstarters, a lot of tabletop RPG Kickstarters out there. And so often I see this is an RPG where you can do anything or it's a steampunk, cyberpunk, diesel punk hybrid with, uh, powered by the apocalypse, uh, or something like that. And it's, they either try and make it like, the the person who's writing you can tell they want to appeal to literally every single gamer they feel they need every single one or two they just they have no they're just throwing out buzz or i mean there's maybe a big diagram that's overlapping circles uh where they just throw in tons of buzzwords and they're like oh this is cool this is cool this is cool so my game's about these three things they don't think about like they're not answering the real question is is why should i back this kickstarter you answer that because this is economic horror. This is about the zombies are like work. They're banal. They're boring, but they can eat you. Yeah, <laughs> they can kill you. So you've you've already done this kind of mental work, this kind of thinking and processing analysis of your game to really come up with an elevator pitch and a way to uh, do this ad copy. If you're listening out there, you need to do this kind of work too. Yeah. Uh, uh, you also need to figure out what, exactly how much work you need to do because, like you mentioned, powered by the apocalypse. Well, one of the things you can yeah. do if you're in a Kickstarter that's doing an open OGL system yeah. is you just have to sell your setting. 
Yeah, that's true. Uh, whereas, if it's a known quantity. In the tradition of Game Designers Workshop, I've made it as difficult as a task as I possibly can on myself. Uh, and therefore, <laughs> I have to sell both. So I have to sell the profit system and I have the to The game sell mechanics, yeah. So in there, I think the traditional wisdom is rise. Setting goes first. Yeah. Core activity of the characters goes at the very top. So I start off the Kickstarter page talking about what a taker is and what they do and what that means. Then I talk about the setting. Then I get to the bullet points of the setting. Yeah. Um, but that's really hard because my setting is like it's kind of complex. Like it is. You have to have a complex scenario, and it's like I know that seems ridiculous when you're like thousands of years ago, the elves of Arendelle. <laughs> like when like you have those sort of like things, but like it's about near future modern day global economics as a result of this paradigm shift. And so you've got to talk about like new borders and how the currency works, and you got to cram that into like a very tiny amount of space. Uh, that's true, uh, because, uh, and, and so whenever you're doing your own game, like, yeah, you have to, like, I've saw recently a game that did this really well, Belly of the Beast, where it's like, <laughs> it's a fantasy game, but you're in the, literally in the belly of a giant beast. Uh, and here's what that's like, and here's these other things. So, um, and they did okay. I think, I mean, they obviously succeeded. Uh, I backed it actually. Um, and, but yeah, it's 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 what is unique, what is uh, essential about it. I mean, and you can't put in everything, mm-hmm. you know. Like, there's internet in your setting, like, and but you don't. I imagine on the Kickstarter page, there's not like a lot of description of how that works, or yeah. like, yeah. So it's uh, a near future technology. So yeah, that's thrown in there with like prosthetic limbs, and right? You know, drones and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, and another thing you can't do, even though that's how you think of it. Yeah. Is mention a lot of stuff in comparison. So my, oh yeah, that's a my oof. first draft was like, look, most trad games don't do this with inventory. Most trad games don't do this. Yeah. If you have a game that does this, it probably doesn't do this as well. Yeah. And this is the game for you. And that was the original description. And I threw that up to an email list. It's like, why are you shitting on all these other games? Why do you think you're the best and most innovative person ever? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I. I objectively said that like you don't drive mecca in delta green that's yeah. not like on delta green like yeah my mecca at delta green? <laughs> like that's just like a basic description of it is like and uh everyone got like really pissy about it and then one person is just like look that's if they're having that reaction that's going to be a natural reaction for no yeah. many readers don't mention them at all, even though there's nothing in the text that suggests that you're shitting on other games. Yeah. You are, people are going to assume that, and you're not playing a game of reality, you're playing a game of assumptions. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. So, like, you have to describe it all in positive terms. Like, you, your game can't do something different than another game or something that was missing from another game, even though that may probably where the very emphasis of your game came from. Yeah. Uh, you can't talk about it that day. It's got to be entirely in, like, my game does this in a vacuum kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, and that that that's a really good point because I do see a lot of these, like, people who have no idea what they're doing with Kickstarter. And they're doing, especially, like, D20 knockoffs. And, like, we're better than D&D. This is more D&D than D&D. And, you know, obviously that's kind of, like, you know, you're not. Um, yeah, but like, as crass as that is, it could yeah. be more like... Um, Inventory systems don't truly represent the way capitalism works with opportunity cost, yeah, and something like that in other games, and that's enough. Like that, even something that academic is just like, what, what are you talking about? My, my, yeah, my people project. Yeah, they project real hard on it. So. And, and this doesn't. And this is sort of a part of a larger principle, which is when you're representing, you know, something professionally, like yourself on the internet, is to uh, obviously 
not start shit when you don't have to like don't compare um this is sort of a a little off topic but recently a um comic convention the santa fe comic convention uh, had a big massive brouhaha because they're like they bitched about you know professional cosplayers asking like oh would you like to pay for my flight and room and board uh and give me a free table so i can be a cosplayer at your con and they're like, I'm tired of these cosplayers asking for free stuff. And like, oh, well, they're not real cosplayers like these cosplayers. And obviously, like, a lot That's of people. the convention's about now. Yeah, yeah that thousands and thousands of people from all over the world just now hate the Santa Fe Comic Convention because they think they're shitting on cosplayers in general, even though. And the thing is, the guy, I mean, shouldn't have even brought that up in the first place. Like, you know. So, yeah. Anyways, the no, same no. example. Um, but, yeah. Um, and, and 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 so it's about a being looking good, you know, being good uh, to other people. So obviously the ad copy is part of it, but there's another part in that your appearance in general uh, on the Kickstarter. And this is obviously and, part of the professional sustainability stuff. And this is the part where like the month and a half of not working your game really grinds on you. Yeah. Because you agonize over these, these 3,500 words, which is all you get for ad copy in a Kickstarter. You agonize over how you're going to spend every one of those. You make sure the grammar's perfect. You try to word everything the best possible way. And then as you're doing it for the 80th time and whatever freaking draft you're in, you realize nobody's going to fucking read this. (laughs) But you have to do it. Because they're going to look at the video and then they're going to decide if they want to back it based on how it looks. I don't even rewatch a video. I just look at the graphics. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And everyone does that. And, like, that is the... That's where it gets real mind-numbing real fast. And you're like, I really wish I could do anything related to the actual art which I'm yeah. trying to create. Because you just like, you just feel like you're screaming into a void, and the void <laughs> is criticizing you. And then that's it. Like, uh, yeah. So yeah, appearance is massively important. And this is where uh, this is where in the realization versus sustainability thing, uh, realization is going to lose because Kickstarters are slick now. You, they have They've to got to look slick. Yeah. Uh, so like. I made it look as slick as I can. There's still stuff I don't know. Like, Polaris has this, like, crazy background that goes across the whole Kickstarter page. And, like, I don't even know how to bed and do all that stuff. Like, uh, but you've got to, you can't have the, you can have the body text that Kickstarter provides you. And that's about it. So all of your headers need to be graphics graphics and images inserted in. You need to have multiple images done as much color art as you can possibly afford done before the Kickstarter launches. Uh, in my case, to the tune of $6,000 or so. Uh, before the Kickstarter launches, you need to have a very slick trailer with very slick narration and very slick audio. Um, it's got to look good. you got to have links to everything. you got to check and triple-check those links every, you know, a billion times. And there's still stuff I could do to make it look slicker that I don't know how to do. And other people, like, I don't know how they figured out how to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, one thing is, uh, I think that the graphics um, have become so popular in part is because they're also a workaround against the character limit uh, that Kickstarter imposes. You can add a lot of text, a lot more than 3,500 words. If you just, instead of it being actual text, it's a picture that has text on it. So like um, I know a lot of Kickstarters do that, that have a lot of add on goals. They have little charts that like, Oh, here's the, here's our little table. Here's a little, uh, 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 table of all the reward levels and what reward you get at what backer level and stuff like that. And if you're doing like seven C, which has like dozens of books, uh, available. Yeah. Or Delta green. Um, there you kind of need that. Obviously, red market. Too. Yeah, no armies. Um, so 
there there are those elements um and but yeah people do look at pictures i mean it's like it's weird that they're they're at one point they're very reluctant to back with their money but on the other hand they'll just like yeah all right and then put down 50 bucks so or yeah, $100. i'm wondering which pictures go next to which text yeah what caption that's a big thing but those assets are done and will appear in the book yeah what really gets you and what really again causes you to grind your teeth in the whole process if you're like <laughs> you're budgeting you're writing this ad copy and you need banner art for different stretch goals you need banner art for different uh, sections of the place and then if the ad copy changes and you have to change that banner art you have to recommission the banner art yeah and that is a pain in the butt uh, so Kyle and Kat have been very nice when I'm just like, hey, you know all those banners you made? Yeah. Reorganize them with all the numbers now. Like, Well, yeah. One thing you can do if you have some modicum of artistic talent or a copy of Photoshop at least, ask for something that's a layered Photoshop file yeah. and then you can move it around yourself. Uh, it's still some additional it's, it, it's, it's additional work it yeah it's, it's additional making work. a brand new file saving it in a different folder yeah. and then uploading the, the yeah image. and it's very easy to like get confused and like oh I uploaded the wrong thing yeah you think the iterations of playtesting is bad trying yeah. to keep all your damn drafts of your kickstarter ad copy <laughs> yeah uh, fair enough yeah it just goes on at it but you got it's got to look slick so uh, trailer wise um, I actually think trailers are easier now I think it depends on what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, for tabletop games, I think it is easier. Um, certainly, I one thing that I did the video for this, uh, but I've previously you did a wonderful job. Thank you. Uh, um, I'm available for a Kickstarter video work now. Uh, <laughs> the but I've also pre- I previously done the Delta Green. I did No So Love Behind. I obviously did Base Raiders. Uh, so practice makes perfect. Um, but it was just narrated text with uh, basically a slideshow of images, uh, and that's people can expect that. You can do the thing where you just open up a camera and talk into it. Uh, that's always been something I try to avoid. Yeah. Some people are more comfortable. deeply uncomfortable with that when we did it in Nelson. Yeah. Some people are more comfortable with it than others. And so you got to play with your strengths. If you're not comfortable with it, then try something else. Um, well, I was comfortable with it in that we like, we cleared everything out. We had a blank background. Yeah. Uh, I dressed up a little bit. We had lighting. It wasn't just like me in my office yeah. looking unshaved. I mean, this is this is kind of one of the things about Kickstarter, uh, about the sustainability thing. Is like you, in order to launch a Kickstarter, in order to get do well on Kickstarter, you have to do a lot of things that are not necessarily remotely connected to what you're doing. Video yeah. production has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with what you're um, doing. I'm lucky that I have that background, uh, so I can do that. Uh, I, I have some modicum of background in it. Uh, but the it, it's kind of like, is Kickstarter unfairly punishing people who have a really great idea, but they cannot market it well enough? But on the other hand, there's the other argument is, well, if you cannot market, if you can't sell people on your idea, if you can't, like justify to other people why they should give you money i mean what is how are we supposed to subsidize your your, how do we know that it's good how do we know you're not just some some overconfident art you know wannabe who's has a terrible idea you know it's the marketplace it literally is a marketplace of ideas Mm -hmm. so um it's kind of mm, i don't know it's also it's unresolvable when we did no security yeah uh, the the baseline for kickstarter trailers was it was the whole campaign like they talk about the reward levels Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Kickstarter trailer was six freaking minutes long. Your average Kickstarter trailer—I saw one that was just like a graphic of text and then the Inception sound for thirty seconds. It was just like (laughs) bullet point, bullet point. I kind of want to back that now. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, kudos, sir. Good job. There were no images from the actual book. Yeah. There was nothing about the book. It was just like, new game setting. <laughs> like, and it was yeah. sick. So, like, uh, I didn't want to go that far, but, like. Yeah. Um, Greg Solzy did a great one for Unknown Armies because it was very in character, too. But it was also brief. It was like two and a half minutes. Did you yeah, see that one? But remember the interview where he said yeah. he was in that damn basement talking for an hour and a half to yeah. a camera and someone super cut it into that crazy schizophrenic yeah. mess that made me want to buy that game. That is nuts. Like, yeah. And if you've ever done editing work, taking an hour and a half of footage and editing it down into two and a half minutes or whatever that trailer was. Yeah. It's it, a nutso. It takes more than an hour. I will tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. um, so you did a very wonderful job, but yeah, I, I you had to write the script. I, I was like, no, I'm not writing the I script. Wrote the script but that's the thing with the ad copy. The, the, trailer nowadays is not expected to fully represent the game yeah uh, it is very much meant to be more slick and so so i could be somewhat, it's more like a movie trailer now i could yeah i could be somewhat more articulate i could it was basically like a dramatic monologue yeah uh, and then we actually got faust a decent voice actor professional yeah. he, he is being paid for his yeah, work he is being paid and he's been paid for other voice because he's much better at delivering it than i am and we're much better at editing it than I am. <laughs> um which you know yeah, it brings back the idea. But that goes back to ad copy, too, because the traditional uh, method of writing ad copy was to do everything in first por- person and personalize yeah. the product as much. Hey, guys, I'm this dude. I'm doing a thing. Yeah. Give me money. Here's and, what it's all about. Uh, a lot of people still say you have to do that. You have to do that. You have to personalize it. Um, as if, like, my picture isn't next to the thing and I'm not le- the lead author and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And I haven't put out a podcast or aired my dirty laundry <laughs> on the internet for years. Um, but like, aside from like me doing it in other methods, like it's just flatly untrue. Like I can't make red markets by myself. I'm not doing it by myself. Right. That's why there's a huge list of creator bios at the bottom of the ad copy that no one will read. But to show you that I'm not like <laughs> hand drawing stick figures in the margins of the book yeah. and stuff, you know, like. If, if everyone else quits red markets tomorrow, it doesn't care how plucky I am. I'm not going to get it done. Like, uh, so yeah, I, so that, that's another traditional kind of thing that's sort of going away. Cause it's like, I'm not, it's the same Luddite assumption I want to attack with the game. You're not going to make it by yourself. No man is an island. No man is an island. You're not going to make it by yourself. I'm not going to make it by myself. So I use like the Royal we. It's mostly me. Yeah, I'm going to be involved in every part of it, but like, yeah. it's downright disingenuous to say like I'm going to do this because I'm not going to do it by myself. You know, it's a group project. So yeah, uh, I mean, those are really good points, um, and these are things you have to think about when you're doing your Kickstarter. Uh, how what how to structure your video, how to set up the banner graphics, um, and yeah, the video yeah. production side has gone up, but the amount of information you have to include in that video has gone. Way there down. was a really good if you want to go to any it, it i think it, the keyword i think now is more cinematic i mean i think it really you, it yeah. really is more of a sizzle reel trailer kind of thing um there was one a year or two ago spirit of 77 which is a exploitation films 1970s uh powered by the apocalypse type game and they had a great cinematic type trailer where it was like two guys in suits with sunglasses, you know, yeah, like with guns. Yeah, doing a Pulp Fiction kind of thing. And that is totally in character with it. Um, so whatever your game is, try to come up with a video, a short video. You know, the, the main thing is you want people to watch the whole thing. So if it's more than three minutes, they're going to be like, no. Yeah, and I had, like, scripts for, like, all right, we're going to do a short little zombie movie kind yeah. of thing. Like, I had ideas like that at the beginning. And, like, 
Uh, those are in my computer, but like yeah. God, the budget for that just goes. Oh yeah, skyrocketing. Even crappy zombie movies cost more, a lot more money than you get. A lot more money than a crappy zombie book. Uh, yeah. So and then you're doing a crappy zombie movie, which is a yeah. totally whole different beast. Yeah. So like yeah. you you gotta you gotta make a you gotta make a compromise between like what's gonna look cinematic and what you can afford to do. Yeah, this is true. Um, and yeah, and speaking of affording what you can do, uh, that's kind of the point. Is uh, there's obviously the base goal, but then uh, the stretch goals weren't are not in that like a structured Kickstarter thing. These are entirely created. Like they're not. There's no you like element. You don't have to have them. The Kickstarter does not like mandate their structure or has anything in there you totally just write them up and that's it so like kickstarter has nothing built into their website to support them there's not like uh patreon for example for their milestones which are the equivalent of stretch goals they have that written up on their thing or it's built into the site yeah so there's a separate tab for backer reward levels in which it has a form that you fill out definitively yeah stretch goals you have to include it in the copy of your game that's it that's why the that's why the story of a kickstarter often changes midway through it yeah because once it's funded everyone will throw the stretch goals up to the top above all the ad copy yeah which is what i'll probably do because you want people like oh my god we're almost at stretch goal five you want it to make it top of the page first thing people see but yeah it's just more ad copy that you throw in there um so yeah they don't have anything about it like in terms of uh yeah, which is interesting because so like I, I don't remember stretch goals being this big or obviously at the beginning. I mean, I'm they were probably pretty early on, but I don't remember the exact history. But they were certainly not a big thing back in you know the uh, the 2009 era. <laughs> but like yeah, now we, they're we everyone. Still had them, but like they yeah. weren't mandatory. They're pretty much mandatory now. Yeah, everyone expects planning out stretch goals bananas long. Yeah. Um, so if you want your if you want your Kickstarter to go crazy, you need to be filling a stretch goal every two or three days. Yeah. If you want to have a continuous and get through the slump uh, with a continuously nice. Curve. So yeah, the slump. Um, it's traditionally, the the traditional pattern of a Kickstarter is that uh, first few days, two huge or three, spike. huge spike. Obviously, everyone. Oh my God, it's finally here! Blah blah blah. You get a huge chunk of money. If you get at least twenty percent, you're usually in good shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's sort of the doldrums where it's like a steady and small incremental thing, and then at week the very two and three. Yeah, week two and three, and then in the last. You know, a uh, couple of days, there's another spike. Like, oh my god, it's about to close. I better, bleh, you know, throw my money in. Yeah. Um, so and if yeah. You chart that out in like donations per day. It makes like a yeah. curve. Um, now, if you just kind of do okay, your you never really matches up that initial spike. And if you go bananas, your you yeah. goes way above that initial spike. Pretty much. Um, and if you want to go the bananas, you know, the end of your U is higher than where you started. Uh, that's usually fulfilling a stretch goal every two or three days. Yeah. Because that means by now the product is so much more valuable compared to what you're going to get if you buy it after the Kickstarter's done. Yeah. That it again becomes a sophisticated pre order system. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, stretch goals are uh, so the way I, there's lots of different uh, rationales. I've changed them around regarding the budgeting thing. Yeah, there's also some other things in there. So like, um, I have pay raises in there for uh, freelancers. Yeah, and I still do, but I removed them from a stretch goal because I saw some. You know, I, people made some convincing points that you know, you know, you're not posting the studios, you're not huge. Yeah, um, and that's not going to be enough of a gap for you to get people motivated to do more because it doesn't add to their product. It's just like a nice thing to do. Yeah. So I've taken <laughs> that and built it into other stretch goals. 
Well, thank so you. it's not like I'm not going to like provide those. And they'll be tiny. <laughs> I am writing for Red Marks, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Full disclosure. Graphics in RPG. Oh, God. No, don't. No, no. That's like Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, do not. That's fucking Voldemort, man. Uh, um, so, yeah. The... So yeah, but the stretch goals are sort of part and parcel now. Everyone expects them, and so, so like, that's in there. Yeah, but like so. What I've done after the initial thing, it was everything I wanted to do in the book. That was the first stretch goal run. Yeah, but um, now I've built in uh, basically, and what I think most big Kickstarters do is secret stretch goals, which are things you want to add to the book and plan to add to the book, but don't necessarily get people doing uh, right donating more. So for instance, like. Um, I'd include the offset run, even though that's not to the sexiest stretch goal. Right. Just because, like, I need the money there. Yeah. But for PDF options, um, part of those are going towards making PDF options. You mean supplements? Yeah. So supplements. One. These are separate PDFs that will be available uh, eventually on Drive Through RPG. Yeah. And they have additional content. Yeah. So to be clear, the stretch goals and run markets basically fall into one of three categories. Yeah. They're something that literally add to the book. They literally make the book. More chapters, more. Uh, yeah, more chapters. Uh, they uh, are PDF supplements, so things that will be uh, added to the book mm-hmm. later on. Um, so, Fulfillment Hell. <laughs> yeah, because you owe me PDF supplement at some point. Yeah. For uh, base writers. I, I work on it. Uh, yeah. and, then there's, um, and then there's stuff that adds to the community, like having a forum dedicated yeah. to the game, that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, so, we've got those. So, the thing about that is, like, Art sells books, like especially if you're skimming at a convention or in a place, and art sells books and Kickstarters too. Uh, and more art will sell books. So you want the industry standard if you can afford it, which is a roughly four, uh, roughly one illustration every four pages. Yeah. Something visually engages every four pages. So you don't have a lot of just four You, you do not want a textbook, text. yeah. yeah. Um, but while that is something that gamers really want and love i've seen some really convincing statistics talking to other people is that they don't pay for it worth a damn like if, if your stretch goal is more art in the book they earn like next to nothing compared to like autograph it like you know like yeah. relatively silly stretch goals will earn more money than like get more art because most gamers don't realize how expensive that is uh, to put in the book, and they also don't, uh, they can't visualize it because they don't have a book in their hands. Yeah. They can't visualize it without that much art because they only buy books with stupid amounts of art. Uh, so I have more art stretch goals in the book, but they're built into other stretch goals. So, like, if there's a PDF stretch goal, part of that will be made for the PDF, and then the extra goes into the book. add more art yeah. in the book budget. Uh, same thing for raises. Part of that is being going towards so, the skull, and the right. other is going towards raises. So, like, there are invisible stretch goals. It's not like a stretch... The stretch goal's never doing one job. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like, um, the stretch goal is two components. One is the marketing, and one is the budgeting. The marketing and the budgeting do not have to be... Uh, do not have to line up. Yes. Your marketing things are like, what do you think is going to motivate people to get more, you know, to put more money into this, to raise it up to the next level. And then the budgeting is how are you actually going to spend that money? And I think that's a really good point to raise. Cause a lot of people aren't going to like, Oh, that's a good idea. You know, I should do that. Um, for example, one thing is if you had a marketing, if you had a stretch goal saying, I get more money, I just get more money. 
<laughs> you know, like people are like, what the fuck? No, you know, but like you should budget that out so that you have a profit. Like you are not doing this at a loss, you know, obviously. Yeah. Uh, uh, to be clear, yeah, I personally am doing this entirely at a loss. Yeah. So one thing that Red Markets. Well, you should at least get your $6,000 back that you yeah, spent yeah. on Yeah, one thing that Red, Red Markets is budgeted to not lose money if we make it. Yeah. Uh, at no point am I quantifying my time. Okay. So that's going to be a net right. loss. Like the writer has never been paid, nor he might never be paid. Right. Uh, but like, you know, stuff like raising prices for freelancers is not wasted money. So like in my original, uh, and I, again, it's I didn't not, say yeah, it was not as much as I want. Yeah. Uh, but in my original pitch for the stretch goals, it's like, look, it's about incentivization. These people are very talented. Uh, that's yeah. why you want them working on your book. But there are other companies that want to use them. And if I pay them above the going rate, they're going to do my work for Pathfinder might steal me away, Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, mainly the artists. Oh. I know where you live. <laughs> uh, All right. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we, we are at the place I live. <laughs> yeah. So. so. Um, Touche. So, like, it's a matter. It makes a better product because you get your stuff faster. Yeah. Uh, you've incentivized it. But, like. Your average RPG guy who isn't listening to this podcast and like not yeah. fully invested in it, and I'm just some rando they find on the internet. Yeah, you want to get them too. Yeah, yeah, and I want randos on the internet, but they don't they don't give a damn. So like yeah. that gets budgeted off. So um, my stretch goals, the way I structured them, they are four grand for every step. Uh, four grand either add something to the book, add something to the community, or it adds a PDF supplement. Yeah. Um, now. Some of that money is going towards making it. Sometimes it's going towards getting artists to work faster. Sometimes it's going towards the offset run. Because the offset stretch goal is not the offset stretch goal. When we hit the offset stretch goal, that's the bare minimum we need to make the offset stretch goal. Because I've been pulling stuff off every stretch goal before that. Right. To make the offset stretch Because it's a... It's a lot of money. Ball shriveling amount of money. Because, yeah, that's the thing is uh, (laughs) the price per unit is very cheap as we specified, but it's still a lot of money because you still have to print thousands of copies. Uh, You're cutting your unit cost in half. You're cutting your unit cost. You're making an enormous investment. So every book you sell is profitable, but you have to sell all of those. Uh, And so usually – You just have a pallet that gets turned into pulp because you can't pay the warehouse. Uh, so the idea is, yeah, like the thing is it, with a offset print run, you, you're going to print more than just to fulfill the demands of the Kickstarter. So if like, if you get X number of backers, uh, you want X plus 500 or a thousand books. So you have a thousand books left over that you can sell at conventions through distribution, yeah. through distribution, uh, and send, then show people like, look, I did write a book. Ah, I did a marketing thing. Yeah. thing. And the offset, when yeah. you sell that is not by saying like, Hey, it'll be in other places and other yeah. people that I mean, you are nobody cares. It, yeah, nobody cares. The way you sell that is uh, like, look, I know it's really shitty that you had to back this, and then you're <laughs> going to have to pay later for DTRPG to do it. Yeah, but that's just the nature of the global shipping economy, and no one yeah. can afford to include shipping on this. This is literally how Chaosium went bankrupt. Yeah. Uh, through their like, you can be pissed, about and they it. made hundreds of thousands of dollars on their Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition back. There's a whole great article about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I'll see if I can. I'll, I'll try to remember to write. But basically, like they thought they the could. The company that kickstarted itself to death. Yeah. Um, the the long short of it is they thought they could send like ten book, five or ten books to Japan for fifteen dollars. When it was like $85 to ship that many books to Japan, and so they were losing money on each shipment on each book sold, which is. Not the goal. Yeah, the only thing I'm shipping are dice, which I yeah. can ship to Australia for about ten dollars. Yeah. So 
I've already weighed them. Yeah. Figured that out. <laughs> uh, so that's it. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, if you want to be pissed about that, you have to be because like, there's nothing I can, there's nothing I can do to dissuade you. Like, yeah. The numbers clearly don't make out if you've ever shipped anything anywhere that's not in your own home country. Yeah. Um, so I, I, but I know that's shitty. You don't like to buy things and then buy new things. So the way you sell your offset run is like, look, you backed it. We really much appreciate it. When the book's done, we're going to send it to you. Now you just pay shipping through Backer Kit and that's it. Yeah. You don't pay the cost of the printing the book, which if it was a hardcover color, is not like it's like twelve bucks, thirteen bucks, fourteen bucks. Uh, that's all gone. Like it's yeah. now the book is now cheaper than it was. Plus you get all these PDFs. Plus you get every stretch goal that came before. That's yeah. how you sell it. Like we just made the book cheaper. It's value. Yeah, we made the book cheaper for everyone. Uh, I mean, yeah, value. That's another thing. If you you you're gonna have different types of backers. Some are gonna be hardcore. They believe in your idea. They really want to see it come. Which is what Kickstarter was originally about. Like we want people who believe in their goals to do that. But you're also gonna have people uh, who are curious or maybe they like one type of concept. Like oh, I like zombies. Zombie Kickstarter backed uh, you know but then there's all people who back for value like if it's a great deal they'll be like fuck yeah i'll do that uh like the 7th c kickstarter they had like 40 pdfs for 40 dollars and each pdf was like like they had the entire previous game line of 7th c yeah. uh and so you, well, you can't do that but like you I we, mean, could i do it can i try can you, i offer you 7c books for <laughs> well i'm not t- no you're offering something similar in that you're offering a lot of digital content uh, much more than just the book, so that's a, they're going to perceive it as a great and value. A bigger, better book. Yeah, and a bigger, better book. Um, bigger, better, stronger. Uh, I think there's a song. And, and, uh, and to be clear, like since we're talking about all this, I really don't want to give off the impression that it's like all about numbers and all about getting like yeah. the randos in off the street. Because like I'm not, I am not left behind the whole like realization uh, goal of Kickstarter, like. I need people that believe in this product and that have yeah. listened to this podcast and listened to our PPR. Followed us on our and, journey. And yeah, and, and want us to make this book and want it to succeed. I need you most of all. Like, yeah. bare minimum, we can't do anything without you guys. Yeah. But the the thing about Kickstarter nowadays is like, it used to be you could plan for just those people. Yeah. Just your core audience, the people that you've already been cultivating. And Red Market's we might be able to get minimum viable product out of that, considering we've been doing crazy promotion for a number of years. <laughs> yeah. But I doubt it because it's about sustainability now. So when you make your Kickstarter, you need to get those people in. And I appreciate it so much. I cannot put it into words how much I appreciate it if you back like that level. And you are really helping the little guy, you know, dream just the right amount uh, <laughs> i am not some big conglomeration but in order to get it to that level i'm going to need you plus i'm going to have to design it to get random people off yeah. the internet well Notice. and not and not just for the internet one thing i think kickstarter has really been focused on as a company is getting like people to back multiple projects so like they have a discovery thing mm-hmm. and so they try to like suggest people hey check out this concept and they have of course like staff picks and shit like that so i think that's another thing is just getting people who like there are people who just back kickstarters as a hobby essentially they just yeah. love that and then of course there's people who back kickstarters so they can flip it later on at a profit you know that's but that, that's more the board game angle but still yeah. you know like uh maybe those tens will uh, hit the aftermarket you know become those dice tens uh <laughs> 
Yeah. It's a limited edition. Uh, you can see Caleb's tears on it now, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. So, um, very authentic. Um, but yeah, and that, that, where, what it comes down to promotion, like getting people to back your, your idea and like getting not only the backup, but like to tell their friends about it. And maybe if, you know, they tell 10 friends, one of them converts, you know, i.e. backs the project. That's, you know, uh, I mean, the term viral is kind of a cliche now, but like, that's the idea. I mean, that's the hope, the dream. Yeah. So, uh, um, so actually, I, I again going on email list and asking people. Yeah. Uh, so before I came over here, I put on the uh, email list and asked a bunch of people. It's like, okay, here's what I've done for my game so far. Yeah. I've run a podcast that chronicles the entire development of it. I have an entire AP playtest campaign released currently. I'll yeah. have another one for all backers when they're done. I've done a beta with over 200 downloads. I've been on six podcasts so far. I have three set up, and I did a demo for uh, James D'Amato and the One Shot Crew. Uh, I've got a Facebook page, a Google Plus page. I've got a Twitter account. I've got a personal blog. I've built a website dedicated to the game, and that'll be launched by the time it's up. Um, I'm going to shout it on every social media I have. We have Tumblr. We've got the dedicated podcasts where people are doing it. Uh, I've written a press release. I'm going to be sending the press release out to people all week to my you know, uh, to regular gaming stuff like RPG.net and like Ian World and stuff like that. Yeah. But also all my Hail Marys like Boing Boing or yeah. uh, Vice News Gaming or, you know, mm-hmm. something, you know, really out there that would just make it go huge. Uh, so I've got all this planned. What else do I need to be doing? Because I left a week in the Kickstarter process yeah. before I hit go. Because the Kickstarter is ready to go. I could launch now as we <laughs> record this. But I'm just trying to get all the promotions. Sure. So I've done all this. What should I do else? And the basic response from him was like, shit, you did all that? That sounds pretty good. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, that's not the end. I want to do more. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, one thing you could do, uh, and I know some people, uh, I saw some of the comments from some of the industry people is, and this is something every Kickstarter uh, creator has to worry is like, how much do you spend on marketing? Uh, so, because aside from all the gra- grassroots kind of work that you're doing on your own, you could pay someone to do some of this. Yeah, and uh, that's my concern. That's yeah. basically what I have left. Uh, so, I don't know if I should do that. So there are so. different levels. Have you talked to any of them? Uh, I've took to a couple companies that have like uh, mass distribute press releases for Kickstarter. Yeah. So it's like a special thing. But, like, God, so many of them are just scammers. Like, yeah. Uh, so it's really hard for me to find stuff like that. There's promotional things I want to do that I can't do anymore. So like my my big thing was be go uh, Ken and Rob and talk about stuff, but I don't sell their ads anymore. Oh really? Their ads are all locked up by uh, uh, by Atlas, by <laughs> yeah. uh, Pelgrane, and by Arc Dream now. Okay. And all their ad slots are locked up. Okay. So they don't sell any ads anymore. I was wondering about that because I know you mentioned that. Yeah. No, that was my number one goal. Okay. Uh, as of since even a little before they launched their Patreon. Oh, yeah. They, they don't even have an ad page anymore. Uh, so. Okay. That's out. Uh, so basically, at this point, I'm looking at press releases and spamming them. But, like, the thing about those press release places is they're not targeted. Like, like one place I look is like, we'll go to ABC News affiliates. The fuck does an ABC News affiliate care about my zombie economics RPG. Don't right. Don't shit. Like, uh, so... Well, I mean, that's true. Uh, I mean, the local news media might, because, hey, local person, but, I mean... How many do you get off of that? Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, I mean, I get uh, I because RPPR is part of the press. Uh, I get press releases all the time, and I ignore like ninety eight percent of them because exactly. like I don't care. Uh, so so yeah, 
how much good that would be. I mean, like target. I think it would be worth spending some money on uh, enough that you can like uh, like it's a it's a risk, but I would I, a gamble. I, but I would give it a shot. It yeah, was, it's the press release thing. You know, like uh, I also thought about like maybe doing a Facebook ad. Yeah, because that's five bucks per day. Yeah. So. Uh, that might be yeah. I mean, that's an experiment. That's one hundred fifty dollars for the. I have the, like a couple of years ago when I was focusing but on. I don't think I've ever clicked on one. Right. That wasn't an accident. Uh, I've clicked <laughs> on one or two. Uh, there was one for a game distributor, so I did that. GTS distribution had that. I'm like, oh, that oh, distributing my game. All right. Um, one thing I I experiment with banner ads and that kind of thing uh, for Zombies of the World, mm-hmm. and I made my money back. I actually did get some sales. And the thing with that I learned. Uh, unfortunately, with advertising, is a lot of times you have to go big or go home. Like if you spend a lot, you can get really, really good returns. But if you don't, uh, if you just spend a little, you might you'll probably get your money back and maybe a little more. So it's kind of oh, good. more gambling with my teacher's salary. <laughs> exactly. exactly what I was looking yeah, for. I know, right? Uh, but there are. But, I haven't put enough on the line yet. Uh, there are some other ads. Uh, there's some cheap ads like the Something Awful Forums has a very large trad game community. You can get a banner ad for a month for thirty dollars. Uh, okay, I look into that. I, yeah. mean, I thought we would just be like yeah. on there as ourselves being. Well, you could you could post to the forums and have a banner. Yeah, you better be posting. To the forums I'm wow. <laughs> Oh, well, no, that that attitude. Um, you want that bonus or <laughs> All right, damn it. Touche. Uh, there's also Project Wonderful. Uh, they do banner ads for like web comics. Uh, you could, uh, you know, you could spend big for like one or two days, like maybe towards the end for like some zombie themed web comics um, and see how that works out. Um, you know, you can do, like, the thing is, you have a lot of control over how they're. Like how long they go and what your budget is and shit like that. So that I mean, it's maybe. I don't think I'm in a bad place. Yeah, no, you're in a good place. I think in terms of marketing, you've you've done a lot. You know, I want to do as much as possible. Yeah, days until the kickstart. I mean, a lot of it is out of your control. If someone on a big site like blows it up and then you know then that's if boing boing picks it up be like oh my god hey look it's uh it's very relevant to this year's election look at a rpg where trump wins or whatever you know well yeah again and like um so I, this is where that like backer thing comes yeah in. like i really need people who out of the goodness of their heart wanted to succeed rather than just like wanting a good value i i mean i, I want to give them both yeah like, i need the people who are in it to win it for you know yeah. Kindness. Um, because, like, I also posted on various social media feeds, like, where do you guys get your news? And the number one answer I got was, like, RPPR. I'm like, well, I guess that's good. Yeah. But it's not super helpful for, like, where else I should look. Yeah. <laughs> like, thanks. It's like, I just see what you guys are playing. Awesome. Well, I hope that keeps up. <laughs> I think it will. But, uh, but like, then the other second answer is just like, I just see what's on my news. One thing, one thing, yeah. And like, and like, that's it. Like, you guys have to retweet. You have yeah. to drop those links. Because like, I, I can't pop, I made a Facebook group, but I'm not going to pop up on anybody's news feed unless you join a group. Right. And I'm not going to pop up on anybody's Twitter unless you tweet with hashtags red markets. Yeah. Uh, when you're done. So like, that's why we have social media stretch goals, and I think that's going to become uh, that's uh, bigger that's and bigger. certainly yeah. In the last two years, I think they've really started. Show, uh, ha- uh, I haven't seen them. Yeah, I think it's been about two years, twenty fourteen something around. Then they started showing up. Maybe maybe just last year. Um, but yeah, these are like with so many retweets, we'll do this, and so many Facebook likes, we'll do this, and uh, these are these these kind of goals for you are not like necessarily expensive to fulfill, but they add a lot of value to the backer. 
directors. Like we're doing things like uh, I'll do a mix of mu- Creative Commons licensed music, uh, and we'll do like a radio station. Like we'll uh, that's in the loss. I think that's yeah. the one I'm looking forward so to. So the way I'm running it, is, yeah, I've not seen it run like this before. Uh, I'm calling it social bounty. Yeah. So um, I'm allowing multiple things to count for social bounty, and then I'm counting it up. So yeah, uh, the stretch goals are all based on like making the game easier and quicker to play. Yeah. Uh, which is not like it's not easy to play now, but like playmat options. We'll make a specialized playmat that you can laminate. And you can play red markets like poker instead of playing it like a trad RPG where you have chips and like yeah. you don't want to die from the zombies, so you splash the pot and go all in. And like we've played like that, it works. Yeah. Uh, so we dress one of those up and GM screens and uh, lost radio that you were talking about would be a great like player handout sort of thing. Yeah. Like you're listening to this as you guys are walking along, like that kind of stuff. Um, so stuff you can use at the table to make it easier to play and uh, more varied to play. Yeah. Um, so the way I'm doing it is social bounty. So like a retweet, uh, joining the group or a liking it, uh, subscribing to our uh, subreddit, all those kind of things. The day the Kickstarter launches, which is today, uh, I will have basically a whiteboard and I will take tallies <laughs> of all of those different things. Uh, and if you add to that, those are all one bounty. So like... Re- bounty, by the way, is the unit of currency in the game. In the current, in yeah, the game. Yeah. Uh, but we're counting it for social bounty. Yeah. So uh, rather than counting backers, which is another thing we've done before, uh, I'm going to just, I'm, count, I'm counting promotion. Yeah. So um, doing those things on the very social media sites, for each one you do it, that's one bounty. Um, and so you could do four bounty off the bat the second you back. Because uh, you can just, you know, join the Reddit, join the Facebook page, you know, all your yeah. social media stuff. Uh, follow me on Twitter. That's one of them. So um, then there's uh, if you want to write a blog post about the beta or about the Kickstarter and you want to link that to me, that's a hundred bounty. So if you go all out and like give it a recommendation, something like that, that's a big spin. Do it. Uh, and if you want to do a podcast or interview me or something like that, that'd be like two hundred bounty. So uh, I'll be keeping that. Especially if you're like a super, like really popular podcast that's like, you know, I don't know, number 10, number one through 10 on iTunes. You yeah. Know? That'd be great. NPR, you're, I'm, I'm looking at you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, or Night Vale. I mean, I you talk c- to Ira Glass. Yeah, there you go. Uh, this American life. <laughs> I would really love to get on Freakonomics. Yeah. Actually. That's, See, there you go. That's one of my head We're, we're, we're uh, doing some brainstorming right now. Um, tweet at him. <laughs> I will tweet at him. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're, um, yeah, social bounty, uh, that's how we're tracking those things. Yeah. Those are entirely separate from the financial stretch goals. You can help us fulfill those goals and get those out to absolutely everyone for the cost of two minutes on your social media accounts. Yeah. Um, so we're going to see how that works out. Yeah. Because really, that's what it's all about. Because like, I've done all Raising the promotional awareness, stuff. Yeah. I might buy some advertising, some banner ads in the next few days. I'm still kind of researching it. Sure. Because the press release is pretty much written. It's just a matter of sending it to people. Yeah. But I mean, well, one I thing feel like in a lot of ways, I feel like if I don't do anything, do you have how much rest of the week, yeah. and then it fails? Nothing I would have done in the last. Week. Well, well, well. One thing also. What is your plan for promoting it during the Kickstarter? Do you have like planned updates and stuff like that? Yeah. So because um, that's the other thing is like I've seen a lot of failed Kickstarters because they launch, they do nothing, and just hope the money comes in. I think one actually the one air. So we'll send yeah. out the promotional chapter. That'll be one of our updates. Yeah. So you can see what a full chapter looks like. Uh, obviously, yeah, every time you announce a stretch goal, that's a that's an update. But like uh, I think. Kickstarters have to 
constantly promote themselves, so you have to keep coming up with news in order to tell yeah. about it. So, um, so the social stretch goals are another update thing. Yeah, uh, the new stretch goals, as they are announced, is uh, another update thing. Yeah, uh, I've only got two up there now. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I debated just having one up there, but I'll have two up there. No, uh, and then uh, we've got the combat chapter is completely done. I'll, I'll release that to backers so they can see what they're getting into, um, and then. I probably have a entirely press-related uh, update. So, like, hey, you want to tell your friends about red markets? Here's all of the GDWs. Here's an Definitely, entire yeah. brutalist campaign. Here's uh, all of the interviews I've done. Here's the demo I ran for these people. Here's the press packet. Here's the sell sheet for your game store. Uh, so that'll be one thing I do midway through to get through the doldrums. Right. If you are curious about absolutely anything about this game. Here is here it all is in one post. I think one thing uh, I, I'll do is I'll mirror these particular podcasts on archive.org, so you can go to one page and download all of them at once. That would be great. Uh, so because I know that helps some people. Um, so yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, the press thing, the combat thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to try and get an Elmo. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. An Elmo is a. Uh, you remember those projectors in school with the oh right yeah yeah thing? basically what that is now is they just slapped a webcam up there yeah uh, so you can see people's hands and stuff so I'm gonna try and get an Elmo and record some uh, rules demos like how's the profit system work roll show you how it works I'll have a character sheet right there I'll have dice right there I can point yeah and do a basic edit audio video to kind of do some stuff like that uh, but we'll see how crazy Kickstarter goes Woo! it'll go so crazy uh, let's hope let's hope it goes crazy. In the exact right amount. <laughs> Which is $3 million easily. No. no. <laughs> I mean, like... You're right, 30. World... Uh, world. The, and to return to the thesis yeah. uh, and the title of it, like, yeah. dreaming just the right amount. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain point where you haven't done the work and the market investment isn't there, and you're basically rearranging chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. Like it's not going to make it. Um, but then in the other rare side of things, you can also be screwed in the entirely opposite direction and it goes bigger than you've planned. Yeah. So like, that's why this month and a half has been a real struggle for me and why I want to be done with it. I have all the updates. I have all the press releases. I'm just posting links during the Kickstarter. Because, like, in addition to answering questions to Kickstarter, I need to work on the book, not only because we need to have the backer preview ready, but because I just need it for my sanity. Because, yeah. like, when you're, like, stretch goaling five times, six times your basic goal, like, with full knowledge that it's not going to make it there, or with full knowledge that if it makes it there and goes above it, you have no freaking idea what you're going to do because you're already <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel for ideas. It's just, like, super stressful. Um, so, like... Well, I mean, one thing is you could just, like, if it goes way beyond your wildest dream, you could just say, all right, well, we'll just print more books. We had the money to print more books, but that's it. We're not going to do anything else because, like, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, thanks. I mean, that's a good problem to have. It's a good the problem, problem to have. I, have. I want that problem more yeah. than the other problem. yeah. Like, you don't have to keep adding stretch goals if it goes back. But you can kickstart yourself to death. Like, yeah. Chaos. Well, yeah, chaos. Yeah. Well, well, that's because, I mean, with chaos, was problem were shipping and tchotchkes, like adding on shit that had nothing to do with it. Yeah. You know, like coffee mugs and stuff like that. But their shipping problem could have been better than if yeah. they threw a coffee mug in their yeah. palette. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... That's you, yeah, so you could just, like, 
I've hit all my stretch goals. That's it. We'll just have more books printed. Yeah, but like as of right now, I'm yeah. like seven or eight times the asking goal. Yeah, prepared to do stuff. Which is, uh, yeah, I think a reasonable. But it makes yeah. you seem insane. Like it yeah. makes you feel insane. Where you're like, <laughs> well, I need to plan for my yeah. Uber success in this first time Kickstarter because like, or buy Uber. Yeah, it's not going to yeah. make it that far. Like, yeah, it will launch the fourth book in the game. Like, but that's here. the dreaming, you know. You could you could have a little dreaming. You yeah. could dream a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, all right. Well. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how I'm doing. I know it's going to do well. Uh, I have 100% confidence in uh, Red Markets. I cannot wait to uh, see it. Uh, uh, thank you all for yeah. listening this far. Uh, we will keep posting regardless of what happens yeah. uh, on the podcast. Because I have games too. Yay. But I will be decidedly more chipper and happy <laughs> as a host if the Kickstarter does well. So, uh yeah. Determine my mood for the next <laughs> dozen or so times. If you've ever listened to KLGM, yeah, please. <laughs> we will maybe have a Delta Green game where everyone has a happy ending for once. <laughs> like, oh, you kill the monster, you go home to your, your, your bonds, the people who care about, it, nothing bad happens. I don't want to promise. <laughs> yeah. Nonsense. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Or Dirty World, where it's just, you know, eh, it's kind of dirty, <laughs> and it's okay. Yeah, we'll fix it. All right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a little. Yes, much. thank you very All much right. for being with us this far. But if you if you like the Caleb dirty you dirty world stuff, maybe he'll just keep doing that. You know, whatever you whatever want. Whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he'll make it even darker. You know? <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, but thank you for listening. All right, we'll uh, talk to you guys uh, next time.